If you need a Bible, I should come forward with Bibles, and we're in the midst of a series on the fruits of the Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, the name of our series is the, Living the Abundant Life, and Jesus said, John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it more, what? Abundantly. But here's the deal. John 15, 5, Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If any man abides in me, I will abide in him, and he will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you could do nothing. But the beautiful promise there is as we abide in Jesus, as we have this abiding, close relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ, he'll produce fruit in our lives. And we've seen the last four or five sessions together in the Fruits of the Spirit, we've seen that he'll produce fruit like love. We did a whole session on love, 1 Corinthians 13, you remember? And we're, we're to be people of love because Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. And then we also saw as we abide in Jesus, he'll produce joy because in his presence is fullness of joy. It's awesome. Psalm 1611. And there's a joyful fruit in our lives as we abide in Jesus. He makes us happy, joyful people because he's a God of joy. And that joy starts coming to our lives as we have a relationship with Christ. Also, we saw peace. Peace. Shalom, Right? We saw that another beautiful fruit of abiding in Jesus is his peace. His peace that surpasses all human understanding, Philippians 4, 7, surpasses all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then we looked at the last time we looked at the fruits of the Spirit, we looked at patience. Remember, Pastor John was on a hot seat here up here because that's my least uh, fruitful part of my life. I struggle with patience. But we talked about how that patience is available to us as we have relationship with God because God is patient with us. He's patient with each one of us, not wanting for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so we saw patience is a fruit of the spirit of having a relationship with a patient God. And as we acknowledge and we understand his patience with us, we can have more patience with other people. Now today, we're looking at the next fruit of the spirit, uh, five on the list. The fruit of the spirit of kindness. Kindness, great, great topic today, and we're gonna dig, we're gonna look at one of the greatest parables, I think, in the Bible today on kindness. The parable of the Good Samaritan. And we're gonna break it down, we're gonna dig, we're gonna learn from the master of kindness himself, Jesus Christ, as he taught the Good Samaritan. And we'll, and we'll study that this morning, but before we look at the Good Samaritan, I wanna first of all ask, what is kindness? What is kindness? Well, the Greek word, going back to the original New Testament word, is Christotos. And it literally means, interesting, it means this. It means a sweetness, a pleasantness, a quality in your life that pervades your whole personality that produces goodness in action. Let me say that again. Kindness. It's, it's, it's a sweetness, pleasantness, quality that pervades your whole personality that produces goodness in action. That's kindness. Now, question, another question. Why should we be kind? Doesn't our culture and world tell us that nice guys finish last? I mean, if we're kind and we're overly kind, we might be a doormat. People might take advantage of us. Why should we be kind? The world tells us, look out for number one. Why should we be kind? I'll answer that. Two, two answers to that question, why should we be kind? Number one, we should be kind because we have a kind God who's been kind to us. Romans 2, 4 lays this out and says, do you think lightly of the riches of God's kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God, what? The reason why you're even saved is because God's kindness 
has led you to repentance. And we should be a kind people because we have a kind God. Amen? Ephesians chapter four kind of lays this out a little bit more about kindness, and we should be kind because God is kind. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind, there's a word again, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, would it be what? Imitators of God. Imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us and offering in a sacrifice to God as a fragrant remote. As followers of Christ, we imitate God. We imitate Christ. The word there is mimic. And it literally means is we follow his example. And when you look at when you look at Jesus Christ and his example of God to us, remember Philip asked uh, uh, Jesus, he said, why don't you just show us God? Why don't you just show us the Father? It'll be enough. And Jesus said, in seeing me, you're seeing the Father. In seeing me, Jesus said, you're seeing God. And let, question, what characterized Jesus' life more than just about anything? Kindness. Goodness in action. Loving the leper. Everybody else stood a, a city block away from the leper. Jesus went to the leper and laid hands on him and prayed for him and brought healing to him. Demon-possessed guys that would be gouging themselves with stones and people would be putting them in chains because of the demons. Jesus would go and set them free out of his kindness. Jesus, in one story, saw a widow with a mom at a funeral, and he had such a compassion on that widow, he raised the widow's son to life because he saw the hurting in that widow because her son had died. Kindness, goodness in action represents Jesus just about more than any other virtue you could think of. And so if we're to be followers of Christ, imitators of God, what virtue should mark our lives? Kindness, kindness. I got a pet peeve. It's the worst, oxy, most extreme oxymoron out there. You know what oxymoron is? You take two words together and they contradict each other. Pet peeve. Mean Christian. Have you met some? Yeah. Those two words should not go together. Mean Christian. Interesting. I was reading one of the commentaries this week about the word uh, Christotos, which is kindness. And one of the commentaries talked about this this week and said this, that the word for Christian in Greek sounds very much like the word kindness in Greek. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, wrote that outsiders confuse these two words when referring to Christians, such that instead of calling them Christ people, they were calling Christians kindness people. Because, again, the Greek word for kindness is Christotos. The Greek word for Christian was Christ Christianos. And could they have just been a pronunciation? Or it could have been from confusion about the, that they were truly or what they were truly called because Christianity in the first century became so synonymous with people whom genuine kindness was present in their hearts and evident in their lives. Isn't that cool? People were calling Christians kindness because kindness was synonymous with the behavior. Kindness was what they were marked by. Boy, we need to get back to that, don't we, Christians? That when people look at Calvary Chapel Christians, one of the first things I want them to see is love and kindness. And so we're going to learn from the master of kindness, Jesus Christ himself this morning, as he teaches us a parable about kindness in the scriptures. Luke chapter 10, if you're there, say amen. amen. If, you're, if you didn't say amen, get there. Luke chapter 10, 
Verse 25, and here's the context of, this, of the parable of the Good Samaritan. A lawyer, it says in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to this lawyer, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Now, you understand this lawyer is not a lawyer like we look at lawyers. He's not just a litigator. He was a lawyer of the Mosaic law. Another one of the versions actually translated him as a scribe. He was an interpreter of the law, the Bible of the Old Testament, the Torah. And so uh, this lawyer, this interpreter of the law, asked Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And Jesus answered, or no, I'm sorry, the, the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, here's, here's what's going on. The lawyer was asked, Jesus, what, shall, what, what do I need to do to get to heaven? Jesus says, Jesus often did this. He answered his question with a question. And he says, you're the, a lawyer of the Mosaic law. What do you think the law says you need to do to get to heaven? And he answered correctly. He went back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which was the Old Testament Shema. It was a prayer that the Jews would pray at least twice a day. And it was, oh, the Lord our God is one God. And then, and then the, the Shema went on to say, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And then he, he quoted also Leviticus 19 that says, and also you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's interesting because Jesus was asked in Matthew 22 by another lawyer, he was asked, what's the greatest law in the whole Testament? What's the greatest thing we could do with our lives? Remember Jesus' answer, Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. This is the first and foremost commandment. And then he said, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two laws depends all the law and the prophets. Now this is the first principle I'm going to give you this morning on kindness. First principle on kindness, you want to be more kind? Yes. I heard some, one person said yes back there. Yes, we want to be more kind. We want to be more kind. First principle in kindness is if you want to be more kind, you've got to be connected on a regular basis, on a daily basis, I believe, with the source of kindness, which is God himself. You want more kindness, you have to have a love relationship with God where you're loving him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And then you're going to have this pouring of his Holy Spirit into your life as you're connected to him where the, the love and the kindness is going to flow through you as a conduit because you're connected to the right source. Romans chapter five talks about this. It says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See that? As you have this love relationship with God, God like takes a picture of his love and takes a picture, picture of his kindness and he's pouring it into your hearts as you relate to him and abide in him. And again, that's why Jesus said, abide in me and I'll abide in you and you will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you could do nothing. First John chapter four talks about this too. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is what? God's love and God's kind. And if we want more love and more kindness in our life, we need to have connection on a regular basis so he could pour that love and kindness into our lives as we relate to him. The Bible also says we love because he first loved us, right? 
And as we're connected to that love and kindness, it flows into us, and then we're empowered to be more loving and kind to other people. You know, I look back in my life, and the times that when I start getting hard-hearted, the times when I start getting cynical, times when I start not having a compassionate spirit of kindness towards people, I could always do a self-inventory time after time. As I do that spiritual inventory, I realize, hey, I'm not in the Word the way I should be. I'm not connecting to God in prayer. I'm missing. I'm missing time with the Lord. And then I reconnect again, and I repent of that, and I get back in his presence, and a softening of the heart happens. Kindness happens again. We started our first church when I was 24 years old in uh, Carlsbad, California, and then went to Oceanside, California. I remember when we started the first church, I was so excited, and, uh, but I didn't know what I was doing. I had three years of seminary, but I'd never planted a church before, and I was green. And we started the church, and in the first year, we had a lot of people come, but we had a lot of people come that had agendas, and there was some negativity, and some, and I remember about a, first, about a year into that ministry, I said, I didn't sign up for this. What's going on? I didn't know Christians could act like that towards one another. And I was part of the mix on some of that stuff. And I started getting cynical. I started getting a little jaded. And I started losing my love for the very people I was supposed to minister to as the pastor of that church. And I remember, I finally said, I'm going to start going to another Calvary, a Calvary Chapel that was a town away in Encinitas on Sunday nights because we didn't have a Sunday night service. And I need to get myself right. And so we didn't have a Sunday night service. We had Sunday morning and we had a Bible service during the week. But on Sunday nights, I started going with Heidi to Calvary Chapel Encinitas because I needed to get my tank filled again. And I remember going, one of the first services I remember going, and I was upset and anger, cynical, down in my heart. And I walk in there, and the presence of God just about knocked me over. And then they sang this song. I don't know if you remember it. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. And I go, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for getting disconnected to you. And I read, I was a pastor, but I rededicated my life to Christ that night because I needed to. And all of a sudden, I started having love again in my heart. I started being kind again because I was reconnected to the source of kindness. Do you see that? God is love. And if we want to have love and kindness in our hearts, we get it from him. We love because he first loved us. And that's why Jesus kind of puts preface to this parable on the Good Samaritan, he, he gets out of this guy that the greatest commandment, the thing we're supposed to do is to love God and have a, path, a pathos for God, a love for God in our heart, mind, soul, and strength, because that'll bring kindness in our lives. So it says, uh, you've answered correctly, verse 28, do this and live, but wishing to justify himself, this lawyer, he says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Now, you understand this. He's a Jewish lawyer, and uh, the Jews at that time were very selective on who they'd even have fellowship with. If you weren't a Jew, and, and because of the walls that were up there, you wouldn't even have dinner. Jewish people wouldn't even have dinner with Gentiles, with pagans. And so he says, well, who is my neighbor? Is it just my Jewish brethren and sisters? Look at what Jesus says. He refutes this. Um, verse 30, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. They stripped him, they beat him and they went away leaving him half dead. Now, uh, Jerusalem, 
Mount Zion, descends 3,200 feet to Jericho. It's filled with gorges and rocks and you know, crooked paths. It was famous for being a dangerous place. It's not something you wanted to travel alone on, because, and this man was, because you'd get mugged. Remember growing up, <laughs> I don't know if, what's the pastoral confession? Growing up, I used to read Mad Magazine. Remember Mad Magazine? And this was back in the 70s when, they, when Central Park was not a safe place. And it seemed like every other cartoon of Mad Magazine was someone getting mugged at Central Park. And I don't know if it's safer now at night or not, but back in the 70s, you want to get mugged, just go to Central Park at nighttime. You, they'll, they'll meet your need. You'll get mugged. And that's what the road to Jericho from Jerusalem was like. Dangerous place. It was actually uh, called by the first century people the bloody way. And so this man traveling alone, he gets mugged. Stripped, beaten, left for half dead. And it says, as he's half dead, verse 31, by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, what did he do? Passed by, and they're saying, this is a religious guy. The priest, there was 24 teams of, of, of priests, and they would serve two-week duties in Jerusalem. And what they would do is they would have their two-week duty of doing the sacrifices, doing the incense, going into the holy place, going into the holy of holies place, and then they, they, they would be in the most holy place in the whole world, Jerusalem, with the temple. And their job was to these priestly duties for two weeks, and then they'd go back to their homes after their two-week duty. So this priest is descending from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's going back to his home in Jericho, and he gets to this mugged guy, half-dead, beaten, Stripped, half naked. What's this religious priest do? Ooh, I'm gonna go around this. I'm not gonna mess with that right now. I gotta get home to my family. I've been doing priestly duties for two weeks. Besides, if I, if I touch this, this dead guy, if he's dead, if I touch him, I'll be unclean, and then I can no longer do my priestly duties until I have ceremonial washing, and I'll have, I won't be able to do what I need to do because I'll be unclean. He's making all kinds of excuses what he's doing probably. Ben Franklin said, any man that's good at making excuses is rarely good at anything else. And that's what this, this guy was doing. He's making excuses. It's wrong. So what happens next? Verse 32, then likewise a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, what did he do? Pastor, now Levite's a little different than priests. Priests would do the sacrifices. Priests would go in the holy place. They'd go in the holy, the holy place. The Levites, their job was the t- temple duties. Their job was to take care of the temple, to take care of the cleaning, the maintenance, to make sure the temple was all good to go for the worshipers and the temple courts, everything. Their job was more of a maintenance job, and the priests were a little bit different, but they were religious too. They were taking care of temple duties. Same thing. This guy sees this half-dead guy, stripped, beaten, and what does the Levite do? Same thing. He goes, up. Ah, can't deal with that. I got stuff I got. I'm busy. 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 Here's the first, next principle I'm kindness I want to give you. And that is religious people sometimes could be too busy. And sometimes religious people are unkind because they're too busy and they're making excuses not to be kind. And some of you are saying, stepping on toes. No, no, no. Jesus is stepping on your toes. Because if he's speaking to you and he's saying, you've been too busy to have kindness and compassion to other people, what Jesus is saying in his word here by giving this illustration is he's saying, you're too busy. You're too busy. 
Stop making excuses. Stop in your religiosity saying, well, I got other stuff to do. I can't help people. The very essence of what we're supposed to be doing as Christians is helping people. That's a part of our religion, if you would. James tells us that. James 1.27, it says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself, what? Unstained by the world. Hmm. Interesting. I was reading a story uh, by Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite Bible teachers, but I think he's probably the greatest Bible teacher in this last generation. But in his little book on compassion, Chuck Swindoll told a story that reminds us of our potential to replicate this New Testament incident of the Good Samaritan today. This event occurred on the campus of Evangelical Seminary, the very grounds where future ministers were in training. And a Greek class was given an assignment to study the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. And these young theologues, we're doing an in-depth analysis of the Greek, observing and commentating all the major items and synaptical factors in Luke 10 and the Good Samaritan. Each student was to write his translation in Greek, from the Greek, after he had doing his work on the commentary of the Good Samaritan. As in true in most language classes, a couple or three students cared more about the practical implications than the intellectual stimulation. So the morning, the work was to be turned in on the Good Samaritan. These three in this Greek class teamed up, carried out a plan to prove their point. One volunteered to play the part of an alleged victim. He tore his shirt, his trousers, rubbed mud and ketchup and other realistic-looking ingredients across his wounds, marked up his eyes and his face so nobody could, resent, uh, could uh, make sense that it was him in the class. And then he placed himself along the path that led from the dormitory to the Greek classroom. While the other two hid and watched, he groaned, he wreathed, he stimulated great pain. Not one of those seminary students stopped. They walked around him, stepped over him, and then said some things to him, but nobody stooped over to help. What do you want to bet that their academic work was flawless and insightful and was even handed in on time? Interesting. Interesting. What should characterize our lives? Should it be our knowledge or our deeds as people that follow a God of kindness? Good questions. So go on with the story. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon this beaten up, stripped, naked man, and when he saw him, he felt what? Passion. That's the first step in kindness, by the way. You gotta feel it. Compassion. Kindness starts in your heart. And when you see people are hurting, in your heart you have compassion on that compassion leads to kindness. And does in the story, verse 34, and it came to him and binded, he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. So here's what he's doing. He's taken this man, beat up man, bloodied man, uh, half dead man, and he pours oil and wine on it. Oil was for the soothing of the wounds. Wine was a disinfectant. It had alcohol in it to help disinfect the wounds. And then, listen, he takes this man and puts him on his own donkey. And so he's going down this, this path, and he's walking. And where's the beaten up man at? He's getting the ride. And then he gets him there, and he brings him to this inn after taking care and bandaging him. And on the next day, it says, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, then I will return, I will repay you. So he takes two denarii. What's denarii? It's a full day's wage for a laborer. 
today could be, for a good labor today, maybe 100 bucks. And so he takes 200 bucks of his own money, gives it to the innkeeper, and that day and time, in the New Testament time, you could stay in an inn for three weeks for two, two denarii. So he covered his stay there for three weeks, and then he said, and if there's any other bills this man incurs, I'll be back and I'll take care of them. There's the next principle for kindness. Next principle for kindness is kindness is a compassion that leads us to help people. Do you get that? 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 18 says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with what? Just your words, your word and tongue, but love in what? Deed and truth. Calvary Chapel, Lexington, I want to give you a, some affirmation on this. You're doing a good job, church. You really are. We have people, probably 60 to, 60 to 100 families every month that come into our office here on Tuesdays and Thursdays and they're poor and they have no food. We feed them because of the, it's partly because of the way you guys provide through tithes and offerings and we feed 60 to 100 families, give them food for a week every month. It's awesome. We give out free vouchers to our thrift stores so people go on a shopping spree. And it's $20 vouchers. And I tell you what, dollar a thing for clothes at the thrift store. That's a little shopping spree we give people on a regular basis. Well done, Calvary Chapel. We, uh, we have started our U-Turn for Christ program almost 18 years ago. Why do we do that? Because we want to help people. We've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men be helped because we open up our campus and have you turn for Christ here. And, and it's a double blessing. You guys are, you turn guys, you're just a major blessing to us too. You really are. You're the Levites. You take care of the temple around here. And we love you guys. We love you guys. We love you guys. But, but when I look at our fellowship here, we're getting this a little bit. We're getting this, and we're, we're expanding on this now with all these outreaches we're doing, and we're having teams go to nursing homes and to homeless shelters, and why do we do that? Because we want to help people. Because a part of compassion, a part of kindness is you help people. We help people. We don't make excuses and say we're too busy as religious people to help people. We're going to help people. You know, we had a sister in the fellowship that's getting a kidney transplant, so the ladies did a... This, did a spaghetti dinner. I wanted to crash their party because I really like spaghetti. But they did it. Heidi said, women only. And so you women, just the women, did a, a benefit uh, spaghetti dinner and needed to raise like uh, it was about $1,500 to provide so that this kidney transplant can happen. You ladies, you raised t- over twice that amount. Well done. That's goodness in action. That's goodness in action. And we gotta keep we gotta keep in this mode of compassion that leads us to help people. That's what the Good Samaritan is all about. Interesting. Through the centuries, Christians have done that. There's been the orphanages all around the world started by Christians. There's been hospitals all around the world world to help sick, hurting people all over the world started by Christians. That's what we should be about. Kindness. Kindness in action. Being good Samaritans. Good Samaritans. Interesting. Mm. Another thing I heard about from David Jeremiah, one of my other favorite Bible teachers, is said this, a Christian leader was invited to speak in a large gathering of women in an affluent church. 
Before he spoke, the woman leading the meeting relayed an urgent financial need from one of the church's missionaries. It was an SOS need from the missionary. And she asked if the speaker would lead the group in prayer for God to supply the need for this missionary. And as the speaker came to the podium, he shocked the group by saying he would not lead the group in requested prayer. He'd do something else. He'd take from his pocket all the money he had in his pocket to meet the need uh, of this missionary if all the women in that group would reach in their purses and see how they could meet the need. If when the money was collected and counted, funds were still lacking for the missionary, he would be happy to lead in prayer for God to supply the rest. You can guess what happened. When the money was collected, there was more than enough to meet the missionary's needs. Prayer can be compassionate, but kindness requires more than prayer. When it comes to kindness, sometimes God intends for us to answer our own prayers in that moment of kindness. Do you see that? Kindness, kindness is goodness in action. It's compassion that leads us to help people just like the Good Samaritan did. Now let's close up our story. Which of these three do you think, Jesus said to this lawyer, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy towards him. And then Jesus said, what did he say? What did he say? Go and do the same. Now, original language there, keep on going, keep on doing. That's the last principle for uh, kindness. I'm gonna give you this one. We'll close with that this morning. You wanna be a kind person, you gotta persevere in kindness. Because again, I shared this earlier, again, with people it's easy to get cynical. It's easy to get a closed heart. It's easy to get a bitter spirit, say, I'm tired, I'm done with helping people. And Jesus says, keep on going and keep on doing deeds of kindness. Keep on going and keep on doing random deeds of kindness. Why? Why should I do that? People just take advantage of me. Why? Gets back to Jesus again. Who is the greatest good Samaritan of all time in helping people? Jesus. I think of that, just the analogy of that. Where were you when Jesus found you? <laughs> I know where I was at. I was beat up all over the place by the devil. I was mugged by the devil. He was devouring and destroying me. I was a, I was, I was a mess. And Jesus found me mugged by the devil, beaten up, everything else, and he didn't walk to the other side of the road. Jesus came and met me right where I was at. And he forgave me. And then through the oil of his spirit and the wine of his blood, he healed me. And he's still doing that. And he's making me whole. And he's binding up my broken heart. And he's setting me free. And he's healing that which is bruised. I had a lot that was bruised. And I'm forever grateful for the way he's been a good Samaritan to me. And I'm so grateful he's been kind to me too. The kindness of God over and over again just blows me away. He's been so kind. I sang that song this morning. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And who am I? 
I'm one that's loved by him. He is the greatest good Samaritan that ever lived in regards to not going to the other side of the road with us, meeting us right where we're at, and then taking the oil of his spirit and the wine of his blood to bring healing. And listen to this. He's the greatest good Samaritan that ever lived too because he paid the price for us. It wasn't two denarii either. The price he paid for us was his blood and dying on a cross. And he said, it is finished, paid in full. And I'll take care of any other needs you have too, John, because I'm your high priest in heaven who lives to make intercession for you on a daily basis. Do you know that? Hebrews tells us he's not only died for us and saving us and paying the price, but he's at the right hand of the Father daily praying for us. And the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. He's, pray, he's praying some powerful prayers for all of us. And so when we look at the kindness of God and him being a good Samaritan to us, and then he says, now you Christians, go and do likewise. You Christians, keep on going and keep on doing and keep on being kind. Amen? And so what we learn about kindness this morning, good stuff. You want more kindness? Love God with everything you got. Have a love relationship where you're loving him with your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and stay close to the one that's the source for kindness. Number two, realize that just because you're religious doesn't mean you're necessarily kind. Stop making excuses. If you're too busy to help people, you're too busy. Number three, kindness starts with compassion in the heart that leads to actually helping people. And lastly, if you want to be kind, you got to persevere. You got to keep on going and keep on doing and keep on being kind because you have a God that doesn't give up on you, that is continually be kind to you even in your idiosyncrasies, your faults, and your sins. He's kind. So let's do the same. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that your word uh, corrects us and trains us in righteousness, Lord. And Father, I pray for all of us this morning that we would be a people that realize this morning just the kindness that you showed towards us. We thank you, God, that you sent the greatest Good Samaritan example we've, the world's ever seen when, it, when you sent Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you say in your word in Titus chapter 3, it's when Jesus came, it was the kindness of God that appeared to this world. That kindness was represented, according to Titus 3, in the entrance of Jesus Christ into this world, Lord. And so, Father, help us to be proper ambassadors for Christ, that are witnesses for Christ, that don't just love people with word or tongue, but we love people in deed and truth with kindness. And Father, I pray that even this week, you might give us some uh, opportunities, Lord, to help some people in Jesus' name. Even this week, Lord, I pray that you give us some divine appointments, Lord, where we can exercise what we've learned this morning, and we can be kind to some people this week, Lord. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that as we let our light shine in such a way that others see our good works, they too will come into the light, and they too will glorify our Father in heaven. Thank you, Father, for the parable of Jesus this morning that's instructed us on the need to go and do these things in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for people that might be here this morning that 
need to reconnect with you, Lord. They've uh, kind of pushed you away, Father. I pray that this Memorial Day weekend they might recommit to pursuing you once again, Lord, and seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. I pray that if they need to repent of some things, that they'd repent, Lord, this Memorial Day weekend, Lord. I pray that they would see that you have open arms. And when someone repents, Lord, the angels in heaven rejoice through repentance. Father, I pray for people that might be here this morning that have some bitterness in their heart. They've been wronged by some people, and that's caused just a closing of their heart. And I pray, Lord, that you'd soften those hearts this morning, God. I pray, Lord, that we would see once again, again, your kindness towards us, even when we wrong you, God. And we go back into a mode of compassion and kindness towards others, Lord. Father, we just thank you for being such a good, good father. Thank you, God, that we're, we're loved by you, Father. Thank you for your kindness towards us, Father. Father, I pray for all these people who are going to be baptized now, Lord. I pray that you'd bless this time of baptism down in the pavilion. I pray that we'd be witnesses just cheering them on. And we'd be encouraging them and blessing them as they make this stance that they're dead to Christ and they have a whole new life in Christ. Just thank you for that, Lord. Bless this time of baptism after the service too, Lord. And we just pray that this day, Lord, that we recommit to being a kinder, more compassionate, more loving people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen.